The Retirement and IRA show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This is the Retirement and IRA Show coming to you from beautiful northern Colorado. Join us as certified financial planner Jim Saunier, as well as Colorado State University finance instructor and certified financial planner Chris Stein, teach you about IRAs, 401ks, annuities, social security, pension plans, and estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now, here's Jim and Chris with today's show. Well, welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show EDU edition for this week. We've got, uh, I believe this is the third installment of uh, uh, kind of IRA-focused Questions very much uh, secure act uh, related questions that come from uh, uh, the Ed Slot program that Jim's a part of. Uh, we've gotten through I think a dozen of the questions that were part of a uh, a test that the program gives to its participants. Jim uh, apparently scored well on this test, but found that the questions might be kind of fun to walk through on the show, and that's what we've been doing the last couple of. EDU shows. Uh, I think we're going to probably wrap it up this week with uh, the rest of the questions. We'll see how it goes. Kind of depends on what kind of rabbit holes we discover as we go through these questions. But uh, Jim, thanks for joining me on this beautiful spring evening. Is uh, is today the first day of spring? Have we reached spring officially or We did like three something this afternoon Colorado time at yeah. least. We we reached spring, so happy spring to Chris and to everyone. So that means we've got one more big heavy snowstorm to put up with, probably. <laughs> Springtime in the Rockies. <laughs> I will say March, which is our snowiest month, has turned out to be a dud, at least so for far. here along the front range. Mountains are uh, getting it. Mountains are getting it heavy, which is good for snowpack. It is, but uh, we have gotten nothing. March yeah. was just bone dry. Which so is good for my April, back health. <laughs> hopefully april will be a a little bit better and we'll get some moisture the second snowiest month folks is april in the front range of colorado which is pretty much the area from kansas to where the foothills begin that uh right along the foothills and i-25 that's the front range but it's it's the snowiest part of the time for us the mountains they'll get snow from october through through March, but uh, we, we're very, very dry, except for March and April, and March has been a dud, so hopefully April will give me a little bit of moisture for my garden. Alrighty, it is actually late in the day, folks, so if I make an error, I have a reason. It's like 5 o'clock, and I should be home relaxing. 
and instead we're recording because someone who shall remain nameless because he's a really cool guy and he's trying so hard forgot the list of Ed Slot questions on his home computer when he drove to the office today. You should give him kudos, folks, for actually trying to do this electronically <laughs> and not with paper. But had I done it with paper, perhaps I would have put that in my iPad bag. I put my iPad in there, Chris. You're the and... only person I know that carries papers in his iPad case. <laughs> <laughs> I do. That's a sad fact, folks. If you look in my iPad cases, it's, I use it as a briefcase. It's full of papers. Yeah. But I attempted to do this all electronically, and it failed miserably because I left it on my home computer. I didn't put it up in that little cloud thing. The cloud is very handy. It's it accessible is, from all anywhere. over the planet. Yeah. Right, right. I see now why yeah. they do it. Mm -hmm. But anyways, because someone screwed up, we are recording at 5 o'clock on a Tuesday evening. 5.11 five uh, at this point. Just wanted five, to be five clear. 5.11, yeah. just to point that out. <laughs> um, so if I do muff up, I have an excuse. But what I don't have an excuse is apparently uh, I, you, I said something wrong again last week. So this, I, this whole I, I saw that. I'm not sure it was uh, – I didn't go back and listen to it, but I remember that part of the conversation. And I think you were describing it in a way that sounded like a mistake, but really you weren't intending to lay out a rule. You were just making a statement of fact. And anyway, so – I, I I might forgive you on that one. I saw I was copied on that uh, heads up that you might have made a mistake in last week's show. Okay, but well, just in case I did, I do want to clarify that people over the age of fifty can make catch up contributions to IRAs. This listener thought I said fifty nine and a half. Uh, it's it's possible I could have. I'd been shocked if I did, but. Uh, every, anything I'm learning yeah. ever since I've tried to do this Ed slot, <laughs> I can't get anything right. And it's really frustrating me, but, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if I screwed up because I screwed up the other two times. I think you were talking this. about the fact that they were over 59 and a half. So clearly they could make a catch up contribution. Cause if you're over 50, you can make a catch up contribution. So, so the example, I think that you were talking about, they were maybe over that, but I didn't go back and listen. So I, I do, okay. it is possible. You just totally made a mistake, <laughs> but it but is I, possible. So I, I do want to thank the listener who pointed it out to me. Um, but actually two listeners pointed it out to me. One was hmm. nice said he didn't want to pile on, but, Oh, if um, two people said it, then you probably did. <laughs> Cause I only got one. I only got copied on the one. So, oh. uh, I do want to point out too, a common mistake, um, too, is that um, catch-up contributions for HSAs is 55, not 50. So, Did yeah. I say – we didn't talk about HSAs. No, 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 but I'm, no, I'm, I'm just saying a common thing that people kind of – people are so ingrained with this age 50, I can make a catch-up contribution, and HSAs have a catch-up contribution, uh, but it, it's 55. It's, they have a, their own little rule. So just wanted to point that out because that's something that a lot of people – overlook okay and another thing uh, a doctor came to my rescue so i want to give a shout out thank you doctor i won't give his real name but he's from alabama we'll call him dr al uh he wrote to me he says dr al or george because we don't use real name from alabama 
on your March 15th podcast, you fell victim. This, folks, he's, he's referencing how we talked about, uh, it was point out which person is not an eligible designated beneficiary. And it said a, a child of a 25 year old child of the decedent. And that was the answer. And we pointed out that was the answer because only a child under the age of 21 of a decedent of an IRA owner could be an eligible designated beneficiary, Mm -hmm. that being a human who is eligible to stretch. And they can only stretch until they reach 21, which has become the de facto age of majority, according to the IRS across the United States, as far as inherited IRAs go. And then I pointed out the reason this question was the correct one is they said 25-year-old and a 25-year-old child is not an eligible designated beneficiary. And then I went on to give an example as if 25 was the age of majority. He came to my rescue. Hmm. He said, on the March 15th podcast, you fell victim to a phenomenon we call recency bias in medicine. It means someone inaccurately applied information they were recently exposed to when they are solving a problem instead of fully considering the data on hand. Mm -hmm. It is something everyone is subject to, and I would not be a bit concerned about not catching it. I thought he was going to address your accusation that the dead spot in your brain was getting bigger. (laughs) That that could be it, So maybe Dr. Al wants to chime in on that possibility. (laughs) Well, I mean, you, if you had a dead spot in your brain from a massive stroke, you'd be worried too. Can it? Can it express? I never asked my neurologist that. I wonder if it can get bigger. I have no idea. I mean, if you have a like a, a festering bruise, that can get bigger, can it not? Yeah, I don't. I don't know the answer to that. Well, anyways, it's something I choose not to think about until I make well, these you probably can't cool, if it gets silly big errors. Enough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ha, ha, ha. I won't even know. But uh, anyways, folks, hopefully I will get through these last questions without screwing up. But we should turn this into a drinking game like Hey Bob in the 1980s when I was in college. Remember that? Hey Bob? Oh, Hi Bob, rather, not Hey Bob. I don't remember Hi Bob. I remember lots of drinking games, just not Hi Bob. You remember Hi Bob? No. Bob Newhart. Remember Bob Newhart in the 70s? So all the reruns were on in the 80s. You would watch an episode of Bob Newhart. Not the one where he was in Vermont as an innkeeper, but the one where he was in New York as a psychologist. Mm -hmm. And every time someone, he walked in somewhere, people say, hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. It was just, hi, Bob. Mm -hmm. So every time someone said, hi, Bob, you had to take a shot. And see if you could make it through the through the, the show thirty minute show without being totally blitzed. So oh. that was called Hi Bob. Yeah. So we could. Why don't you go get some whiskey and a shot glass and see if you can make it through this show well, without me screwing I, I, up? I, I, I feel like at this hour I need to start drinking just to make it through anyway. So. <laughs> All right, so folks, if you want to join in with uh, Hi Bob, we can call this uh, Screw Up Jim. Can every time Jim says something that's not right, but he thinks it's right, uh, take a shot. Okay. All right, uh, all jokes aside, let's move on. So we have uh, six more to go, so we will nail the rest of this today. Chris, you're doing well. I think you only got the 8606 one wrong. Did you not? Did you get any other ones wrong? I don't I thought, think you did. I thought there might have been one more, but it's it's not more than two, but... 
I, th- I definitely missed the 8606 one, but. Um, okay. I, I should have been keeping, keeping score probably. all this time. Uh, for those who don't know, if you're a brand new listener, these are the questions that Ed Slot asked on his most recent semi-annual exam we have to take. Uh, one of the questions, not this one, but the very next one, has to apply to 2022 issues. Even though I'm reviewing it with you guys in 2023, this exam was taken in November of 2022. So I'll, I'll point that out when we get to the very next question. Okay. Uh, so what I'm doing is I'm reading the question as they appeared in the Ed Slot exam. It is an open book exam we have. I shared with people and with Chris that I try to answer the questions the first time around without having to research. If I get them wrong, then I will go to the books and start researching and finding the right answer. And we're just seeing how, how many of you guys can get correct and how many Chris can get corrected. I think, Chris, you only got the 8606 one wrong, although I could And be. for the record, I'm not using open book. No, and neither do I the first time around. And even though I'm screwing up on the explanation of the answers, I swear to you, I got all these right the first time I answered them. But I, you'd never know it. If you listen to this show and <laughs> we'll be checking with Ed just to make sure mista- Yeah, no kidding. The mistakes I'm making, hence my worry about my 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 stroke suffering. But anyways, it's neither here nor there. All right. This is question 13. Mm-hmm. Even though we only did 12 questions so far, we skipped a question on cryptocurrency. I refuse to ask it because I just don't care for crypto at all and don't want to get into it. All right. This one says, which of the following statements involving self-certification is false? I need to explain what self-certification is or people aren't going to know what is going on. So self-certification, folks, came out, gosh, I want to say five years ago now, five years or less. Sounds about right, yeah. And it was an attempt by the IRS to actually be nice. Yeah, believe it or believe not, it or they not. can be nice every now and then. Because if you missed a 60-day rollover, if you took money out of your IRA, you, you could do it from a 401k, but no one you wouldn't want to because 20% has to go to holdings to the IRS and taxes. Most people do a rollover from an IRA. That's when you take cash out of your IRA, literal cash. It can be a check that you can later deposit as cash. You can do whatever the hell you want with it for 59 days. As long as on the 60th day, you put it back in an IRA or into a 401k. By the 60th day, it must be in. Not postmarked by that date, literally credited to your IRA. Well, people, believe it or not, muff that up, similar to how I muffed up several answers on this this little uh, show series that we've been doing on the EDU EDU recently. Well, the IRS came out and said, hey, we're going to allow you, rather than apply for a private letter ruling and ask for forgiveness, which was the way you had to fix these things if you truly did muff up, and that was 10 thousand dollars for the private letter ruling and it used to be less 
but it was on a, a rolling scale, Chris. I, this is going way back, if you remember. If you muffed up like fifty thousand or less, you paid like three thousand. Mm-hmm. Fifty to a hundred, you had to pay like five thousand. A hundred thousand or more, you had to pay eight thousand. It made no sense that it was based on the amount you rolled over and muffed up on what you would have to pay for a mea culpa forgiveness wish which is what a private letter ruling essentially is. You're asking the IRS, here's the facts. Here's why I screwed up. Will you forgive me? Yes or no? Because the fee was so high and is still high now at 10 grand, the IRS said, hey, we're going to cut you some slack. And if any of these 12 reasons, and they listed out the 12 reasons, I'm not going to get into it at this point. They listed out the 12 reasons you could ask for forgiveness on self uh, on a 60-day rollover. If any of these apply to you, you can apply for automatic forgiveness by simply certifying one of these 12 reasons apply. So that's in a nutshell, a Reader's Digest version of self-certification. We haven't gone over that in a while. We might do True. a need to you show on how that whole process works. It's not as easy as I described the steps you have to do. Um, Maybe we'll do that again in in a future EDU. So which one of the following statements, Chris, about self-certification is false, as in it's not true? Okay. One, it is a free alternative to having to get a private letter ruling to remedy a late 60-day rollover. Number two. A self-certification letter must be provided to the IRS. Number three, failure to comply with the 60-day rollover must be due to one of the 12 specified reasons. And number four, the rollover must be completed as soon as possible after the obstacle for the delay has been removed. Which one of those four is false? Three of them are true. One of them is fake. Which one's the fake one? Hmm. What was the first one again? First one, it is a free alternative to having to get a private letter ruling to remedy a late rollover. That's number one. Number two, self-certification letter must be provided to the IRS. Number three, the failure to complete the rollover must be because of one of 12 specified reasons. And number four, you must complete the rollover as soon as possible after the obstacle for the original delay has been removed. Which one is false? I get to give Ed credit on this one. All four of them sound like they could be true, but right. trust me, one of them is false. It's got to be either two or four. <laughs> I'm not saying anything, and you can't choose two answers. You got to choose one. Um, I'm almost positive you have to write something, so I think it's got to be four. And when it's when, and I think he's tri- he's tricking us. I think in this because. As soon as possible sounds reasonable, but I think there's a specified time. 
Um, so it's not really as soon as possible. So let's go with number four as false. Okay, and you have your sound effects oh, no. handy? Yeah. You do? Yeah. Take the clap one and don't press it. Oh, that's what I was worried about. Press the other one. So it's got to be number two. Right? Yes, it is number two. So you don't have to write that so, letter. Dang it. You should... You- <laughs> Okay, so let's let's go through this, folks. I already explained to you it is a free alter. Number one was a giveaway because right. I explained as I described what self-certification was. It's a freebie. The IRS was actually trying to be nice when they came out with this. Number two is the correct answer, so let's go to number three first. Failure to complete the role of a mess must be due to one of 12 specified reasons. I already said that in my explanation, that they list 12 reasons, that if any of those reasons apply to you, it's a get-out-of-jail-free card. You just have to certify one of the 12 reasons applies to me. I'm putting this money in my IRA late. I owe no penalty. Everything is fine. Only if you get audited, and you most likely will with a letter audit, keep that in mind, but you may not. Only if you get audited do you actually have to prove one of the 12 applied to you. Number four, the rollover must be completed. This is the one Chris thought was false. It's actually true, and this is actually in the IRS guidance. They say complete it as soon as possible. They never define as soon as possible, but they do state, preferably within 30 days. How's that for wiggle frickin' room? Preferably within 30 days? Well, I prefer it be done in 30 days, but it took me six months. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's crazy. As soon as possible after the obstacle that caused the delay is removed. If that obstacle is still there, obviously you can't complete the rollover. But when that delay is finally removed, you have to do it as soon as possible. Ed and I agree, strongly recommend you do it within 30 days. Mm-hmm. But don't don't push it out three, four, five, six, seven months. I don't think that's going to fly once the obstacle has been removed. But if the obstacle is still there and you can't complete the rollover, then you just wait until it goes away. The correct answer, the one that's false is a self-certification letter must be provided to the IRS. You do have to provide a letter. And in the the um, <clears throat> announcement or whatever it was from the IRS, I can't remember if this came out in a revenue ruling or, or one of their general, uh, forget what the, the verbiage, I'm not a CPA, but how they released this information to the public They actually gave an example of a letter that they want you to use. You can use their letter verbatim or write your own in a similar wording. But the letter does not go to the IRS. The letter goes to the IRA custodian. And the IRA custodian will keep that letter on file. And it's just a letter essentially from you saying that you are self-certifying. You acknowledge that this has passed the 60 days. You certify that it's one of the 12 reasons. I'm not sure, but in the letter, you might have to indicate which of the 12 reasons you are choosing, but I'm not 100% sure on that. But again, the IRS has pre-written this templated letter for you that you can use for yourself. It just doesn't go to the IRS. It goes to the IRA custodian. So that was a kind of a a, a trickish style question, but it goes to the IRA custodian. So 
Anyways, that was a good one, mm-hmm. I thought. You just like it because I missed it. No, not at all. Not at all. You are much smarter than you give yourself credit for on this. Okay, this next one, as I ask this, folks, pretend it's November of 2022, not February of 2024. Um, wow. Jesus, it's not even close to February of 2024. <laughs> it is March, March of 2023. Yeah, wow. There's, it's a growing. <laughs> All right. It's late, folks. It's like nine o'clock at night at this point. All right. It says Chantel inherited an IRA from her mother, Bernice, in 2021. And if I please remember, it's November 2022 as you answer this question, Mm -hmm. folks. Bernice died at age 80. But Chantel is not. An eligible designated beneficiary and is therefore subject to the 10 year rule. Mm-hmm. So, again, the names are immaterial, folks. You have someone who inherited an IRA in 2022 from someone who died no. in 2021. And the person who inherited it is not an eligible designated beneficiary mm-hmm. and it is now november of 2022 keep that in mind so which of the following statements is correct so three of these statements are going to be wrong only one is correct for a uh, non-eligible designated beneficiary inheriting an ira it just happens to be 2022 and the person died in 2021. Okay. Chantel must take an RMD by the end of 2022, calculated using the single life expectancy table. Chantel must take an RMD for 2022, calculated using the joint life expectancy table. Chantel must take an RMD for 2022 equal to one-tenth of the inherited IRA balance because she's subject to the 10-year rule. And number four, Chantel does not need to take an RMD for 2022 because the IRS released notice 2022-53 and waived the 50% penalty for RMDs during years one to nine of her 10-year payout period. Keeping in mind this question is 2022, it does not apply to 2023. There's a massive hint right there. Mm -hmm. Which one of these is correct and three of them is wrong? I think number four is correct because of the length of time it took the IRS to come out and clarify the rules on how they would apply RMD rules for those non-eligible designated beneficiaries. And the 10-year rule for a decedent that died after their required beginning date. Since they were delayed, they gave some people some forgiveness for 2022. That's my belief. Okay. So Chris says number 
four. Chris, you can play the clapping. Oh, thank goodness. Back on track. <laughs> so let's expand upon that, folks, because Chris is right. This is, there's a little bit that only applies uh, for 2021 and 2022, and there's a lot of bit that's going to apply from 2023 and on. So let's, let's look at the answer that is correct, the one statement here that's correct. The reason why Chantel in this example didn't have to take an RMD is when Secure Act 1 passed in 2000 and the 10-year rule came around, everybody thought the RMD rules of the 10-year rule would work just like they did under the 5-year rule that still is in existence in a very, very narrow circumstance, but still is in existence. And under the 5-year rule, no RMDs have to come out for year 1 through 4. The entire IRA has to be drained in year 5. So everybody assumed, because the SECURE Act itself never specified, so everybody assumed the 10-year rule is just the 5-year rule on steroids. And Year 1 through 9, no required minimum distributions need to come out. Year 10, the entire IRA needs to be closed. That's what everybody assumed for people who started to die in 2020. RMDs by the beneficiaries would have to begin in 2021. And obviously in 2022 and 2023, if, well, let, let me... Pause there before I make another mistake. Under the original interpretation of the 10-year rule, no RMDs would have to have begun until till the 10th year. However, in 2022, the IRS released notice 2022-53. And that came out in September or October of last year. And excuse me, yes, it did. It came out in September and October of last year because it addressed the surprise everybody had around May of last year. It might have even been April of last year, where the IRS came out and said, hey, if someone dies and leaves an IRA to a non eligible designated beneficiary, like Chantel was in this example, she was a human, but not eligible to stretch. If the person who died died after their required beginning date, which is April 1st of the year following the year their RMDs were scheduled to begin, and this person was 80. So she definitely passed away after her RMDs were scheduled to begin. If a non-eligible designated beneficiary inherits an IRA from that person, they have to begin RMDs in year one through nine and fully close the IRA in year 10. If a non-eligible designated beneficiary inherits it from someone who died before their required beginning date then no RMDs are required in year one through nine. Well, that threw us for a loop because no one saw it coming. It wasn't in the actual bill. It wasn't in the actual signed law. It was nowhere. The IRS just came out with it. And it wasn't even a statement of fact. It was 
issued in the IRS's uh, announcement in April on these are our proposed interpretation of what you need to do. So it wasn't even finalized. They're just saying it's proposed. And there were all this confusion. My God, this is proposed. Are we supposed to do it or not? They could still change their mind. It could take them two or three more years to come out with the final regulations. These are just proposals. What should we do? And what about people who missed the RMD in 2021 because they inherited from people in 2020? This is crazy. So in October of last year, they released notice 2022-53 that pretty much said, we, meaning the IRS, will waive the 50% penalty for missed RMDs only on inherited IRAs by non-designated beneficiaries who inherited them from decedents who died after their required beginning date. A very narrow subset. Do you not agree, Chris? I agree. Very narrow. So a lot of people think all RMDs were waived in 2021 and 2022. No, just for people in that subset. And because the 50% penalty was waived, by default, they're saying you don't have to take the RMD. The RMD is is not necessary. But 2022-53 said nothing about 2023 and beyond. So in my opinion, and Ed Slot's opinion, and Chris, I don't want to speak for you. You can share in a second, maybe in his opinion. You should begin taking RMDs in 2023 if you fall into that category you're a non-eligible designated beneficiary you inherited an ira from someone who died after their required beginning date and you inherited it after january 1st of 2020 when the secure act applies i think the irs gave everybody a wash for 2021 and 2022 they are not in 2023 and beyond even though this is just a proposal that they're going to require this and it's not a final definitive answer, I would go by the proposal. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. And I think this is not going to apply in reality to most people because as you and I both know, when a child of any age inherits an IRA from a parent, oftentimes they're drained much faster than the RMD would even require them to be drained. So, Uh, It's really only for people who are trying to avoid distributions that this really matters. And I think it is prudent to, uh, because they haven't come out and and backed away from that guidance yet. I haven't seen anything where they're dialing that back saying, oh, psych, we're not going to interpret it that way anymore. Uh, Looks to me like it's heading that direction. And maybe Congress will intervene because it is a bizarro kind of a situation. I think for consistency, it should be behaving like the five-year rule. But um, who knows how that will play out. It's a little bit gray area right now, but following the rules conservatively is always the best approach with the, with the IRS, I think. Yeah, so uh, I totally agree with all of that. I also agree with what Chris said. Uh, we see it a lot. Few people, even when they could stretch, ever stretched. 
It's not to say no one stretches. I still have clients to this day who've been stretching for 15, 20 years. But most people uh, close the IRAs uh, long before the 10 years even. But um, generally speaking, people with, uh, who didn't need the money were the ones who stretched, obviously. And the ones who needed the money would uh, close the IRAs uh, a lot, a lot sooner. Mm-hmm. So let's look at these other questions because uh, answers because they were a little tricky. Um, it said she must take an RMD for 2022 equal to one tenth of the inherited IRA balance. No, a lot of people think that you got to take one tenth out because of the 10 year rule. Nope, does not apply. That's totally made up. She must take an RMD using the joint life expectancy table. Nope. Totally wrong. That joint life expectancy table is not the table you use. That's uh, a table that's only used by a living IRA owner. And there is a chance. We'll, we'll talk about this when I talk about Secure 2 in a couple more months. Uh, a new ability for a, a spouse to use the joint life expectancy table. We'll, we'll talk about that little exception later. Most people who use the joint life expectancy table will be a married couple where one spouse uh, is more than 10 years younger than the IRA owner. So it's someone who married somebody 10 years and a day younger than them or 11 years, 12 years, 13 years younger than them. You would use the joint life expectancy table to determine your RMD. And the other question said single life table. Again, not the table that you would use. She must take an RMD for 2022 calculated using the single life expectancy table. That's not the table that she would use for that particular case in 2022 because number four is correct. Number four is she doesn't have to take an RMD. And she's not allowed, well, in this particular case, she would, beginning in 2023, Chris, have to start taking RMDs. And she would use the single life expectancy table. But that answer didn't apply here because answer four, IRS notice 2022-53 applies. So that's what he was thinking in that one. So that's why I said that's kind of a trick question because, yes, you would go to the single life expectancy table when you inherit an IRA and during the time period that you have to, quote unquote, stretch for years one through nine. The RMD is going to be based on your life expectancy, not the decedents. And you would go to the single life expectancy table, but not in this answer. In 2023, she would. That's why I wanted everyone to make sure they answered this question as if it was 2022. Yeah. All right. If we have four more, we need to pick up the pace probably. Okay, we'll pick up the pace. I won't, I won't go deep into this one then. But number uh, 15-ish or whatever. Uh, Based on the rulings of many courts, a bankruptcy filer can shield their IRA using which bankruptcy exemption? The federal bankruptcy exemption only, number one. Number two, the state exemption only. 
Number three, the federal or state exemption, whichever is more favorable to them. Or number four, IRAs are not protected at all in bankruptcy. If you were filing bankruptcy, and most people listening to this show wouldn't, I would assume, but if you had to, which exemption that will help you save your IRA could apply? The federal, the state, the state or federal, whichever is better, or neither, because IRAs are never protected from bankruptcy. Well, Alex, I'm going to go with federal because uh, bankruptcy is a federal law. It isn't a state-by-state thing. So that exemption is going to be federal-based, and the states have no effect on that, is my position. Okay, well, you can take the little dinger thingy and press the buzzer. Hmm. What's up with this? I can't wait for this one. (laughs) Well, you don't want me to go deep. So uh, simply put, someone is allowed to use whichever exemption is most favorable for them. It says, I can read directly from Ed. Many courts have allowed bankruptcy filers to shield their IRAs using the federal bankruptcy code exemption. But they can also use the state exemption and should choose whichever will provide the greater amount of protection for them. Hmm. Remember, the federal uh, bankruptcy protection is capped, Chris. Right. At a very high level, $1.3 million for contributions and growth. Some states grant it's unlimited... It's even higher than that bank- now. It's, in, yes. it's gone up, but yeah. So you can choose whichever one is better. But Ed even acknowledges... However, since the federal dollar limit is usually high enough to allow and protect most bankruptcy filers, most people will never need to use their state law protection. That's fascinating to me, actually, because bankruptcy laws are federal. They're not a state thing. It's filed in federal court. It's a federal thing. So I'm I'm shocked, actually, that they let the states influence that exemption amount that would that would you know protect an IRA in that process. So interesting. I'm not doubting Ed, but I find that odd actually. Okay, well, I'm just I don't don't hate the messenger. No, I get I'm just, it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised by that one. Yeah. Okay, I want to keep going so we can yeah. finally wrap this up. All right, this next one might take a little bit of explaining. Chris, I know you're going to nail it. If you get this one wrong, I am personally going to drive up the Fort Collins and mm. smack you upside the head. Okay. So you will get this one right. Don't overanalyze this. <laughs> when must net income attributable... There right? you go. Attrib- Okay. Just don't try it again. When <laughs> when must NIA be withdrawn to pro- properly correct an excess IRA contribution? Let me put that in English, folks. Net income um, I'm going to try this one more time. I'm going to get a running start and I'm just going to go for it. Net income attributable. Net income attributable is the growth or loss 
on an excess contribution to an IRA. Mm -hmm. And the calculation is the amount you put in plus any growth minus any loss. So the net income could be negative. It could be positive. The question is asking, when you put too much money into your IRA, you got to take it out. You got to make a corrective distribution and, and take it out or recharacterize it to a, a Roth IRA or vice versa, recharacterize an excess Roth contribution to a traditional IRA. But you got to do one of them. You're supposed to do something with that net income, the NIA. So the question is, when must NIA be withdrawn to properly correct an excess IRA contribution? Answer number one, only when the excess contribution is corrected before the deadline to avoid the 6% penalty. And the deadline, folks, is October 15th of the year following the year you make the excess contribution. So the first answer is saying the net income attributable only has to be removed. Answer one, when the excess is corrected before the deadline. Answer number two, only when the excess is corrected after the deadline. Number three, anytime you correct the excess contribution. Or number four, NIA never needs to be removed when correcting an excess IRA contribution. So what is it, folks? Number one, two, three, or four. Well, I have to give credit to Natalie Choate on this one. It's where I learned it. And that is it only has to be taken out if the corrective distribution happens prior to that October 15th deadline. After that, still have to have a corrective distribution. You have to deal with it, but not the NIA anymore for some strange reason. Right. And we talk, and Chris mentions Natalie Choke because we talked about her strategy many, many times on this show. A strategy that she affectionately talks about, but doesn't necessarily recommend you do. But she was trying to point out the absurdity of this rule. When you make an excess contribution to an IRA or a Roth IRA, in this case, it was a traditional IRA, but it doesn't matter. Traditional or Roth IRA. When you make the excess contribution, if you fix it before October 15th of the year following the year you make the excess contribution, you do not have to pay the 6% penalty. But you do have to remove the excess contribution plus any growth, minus any losses. So if the portfolio rose, you will have to remove more than what you put in. That's just the rule. But if you fix the excess contribution after October 15th of the year following the year you make the excess contribution, if you fix it after that, you still have to remove the excess amount because each year you leave it in there, you have to pay a 6% penalty tax. But you no longer have to remove the growth. It can stay in there, which is bizarre. 
And she gives an extreme example that Chris and I have talked about many times. We won't get, I'm going to talk about this real quick, Chris. She just gave a, we were at this summit. She just said, don't try this at home. But the way the law is written, your clients could put, and she used $100,000 as an example. She said they could put $100,000 in their Roth IRA as a contribution. And I think at the time, the, the uh, amount you could contribute was six grand at the time. So there was a $94,000 excess contribution to that Roth IRA, folks. But she said you could put 100000 in. And let's just say they bought some outrageous investment that they just knew was going to double in value. They just knew it. And they wanted that growth in their Roth tax-free. So they put $100,000 in. That is a $94,000 excess contribution. That $100,000 doubles. Remember, this is just an extreme example, folks. It doubles before October 15th of the following year. Now, your clients have a choice to make. They could remove the $100,000 excess contribution to save a $6,000 penalty tax, 6%. Of the well, the six percent of ninety four thousand, whatever that comes to, Chris, uh, to save that penalty tax, but they would also have to remove the hundred thousand dollars of growth and pay taxes on that. They have to remove that out of the Roth IRA. It wouldn't come out tax free, or they wait one more day to October sixteenth. Now they owe a six thousand dollar penalty tax, so they can file. Form 5329 and pay gleefully a $6,000 penalty tax, but they then remove the $94,000 excess contribution, but they can leave the $100,000 of growth in there tax-free forever. No penalties, no nothing. Bizarre, bizarre rule. Mm -hmm. And that's what Ed was picking up on. That's why I knew you were going to get this one, Chris, because we've talked about this one a lot. We've never tried it. We don't recommend anyone try it, but it's perfectly legal. It's the bizarrest thing. Although Chris and I do say good luck trying to get a custodian to take a hundred thousand dollar contribution. contribution. They're going to question that. Uh, But you could say it was a rollover. Just, oh, it's a rollover, even though it wasn't. But um, it's just, it's bizarre. And even she said, don't go having your clients do it. But theoretically, that would work. And if you just knew this stock was going to just rocket, and you have, let's just say you did it in January of 2023, you would have until October 15th of 2024, 19 or so months, no more than 19 months, um, 22 months, right? Mm-hmm. Twenty. Two months for that stock to work its magic, or almost 22 months before you had to take the, that uh, money out to avoid a second excess contribution penalty tax. Okay. Which of the following statements about medical expenses? We already had one on medical expenses. You can see he, he did a little bit on medical expenses. Which one of the following statements about medical expenses and the exception to the 10% early withdrawal penalty is false? So people know that they can take money out of their IRA 
and avoid the 10% early withdrawal penalty if they're under the age of 59 and a half if they qualify for certain medical expenses and follow the rules. They can avoid that 10% penalty. Ed is saying which one of these four is false. So three of these are right. One of them is false. Number one, the medical expenses must be paid in the same year that the IRA... We've already done this question. No, this is number 17. Oh, okay. Could have sworn we already did this one, but go ahead. We had another question on uh, medical expenses similar to this one, but this isn't the same one. Okay. Number one, the medical expenses must be paid in the same year that the IRA owner took the distribution. Number two, the IRA owner must itemize deductions to qualify for this exemption. Number three, expenses include health insurance premiums. And number four, expenses must be unreimbursed. Which one of these four is false? Well, one is false if you think about it specifically. Um, I think the number three is what they're going for there, the health insurance premiums. That can only happen, and you can you know use this exemption for the early penalty if you're paying for those premiums while you're unemployed. And I don't, it didn't mention that, but that is a kicker to that rule. So saying it without that makes that statement false. That's my. I want to make sure I get this correct one. So you are saying which number is, is number false? three, the one about uh, health insurance paying premiums? health insurance premiums. Yep. Okay. So take your little thing and press the buzzer. Okay. This one was a tough one, folks. I will freely admit it's a tough one. We want the false one. Which one is false? Number one is true. The medical expenses must be paid in the same year of the distribution. If you took money out in 2022, but used it to pay 2023 expenses in January, that is not going to exempt you from the 10% early Well, and you're right on the second one, that's false because you don't have to itemize. Correct. So I get that. But when you mentioned that one, the fact that you didn't say unemployed makes that one false as well. Unless you, didn't, ins- unless you didn't read that part. No, no, no. But I don't believe you have to be unemployed for health insurance premiums to be paid. Because that's how I answered it. I can dig into his book and see. No, I'm 90% sure that... No, no, right here, right here. This is, this is from the man himself. Okay. Some additional important points about medical expense exceptions are as follows. Medical expenses must be paid in the same year. Expenses can be for the account owner, spouse, or dependent. Mm -hmm. That was the question we had earlier, if you remember. Expenses that are deductible, excuse me, expenses that are applicable include dental, prescription drug, and health insurance premiums. And expenses must be unreimbursed. 
the IRA owner does not have to itemize to qualify for this exemption. Hmm. I could have sworn. Is that a rule change or am I just dreaming something? I could have sworn you had to be unemployed to be able to use it for premiums. I can write to but, them tomorrow if well, you want. Well, no, that's something we can look tomorrow. up. I can, after we're done here, I can look it up. But uh, maybe I'm, maybe again, maybe it's late enough in the day I'm making stuff up. <laughs> I could have sworn there was that extra little hook to to premiums specifically. But you, Now, maybe you are right, and they didn't specify that in the manual or in this question. But reading it verbatim from yeah. the manual mm-hmm. that was used to come up with this question, that's what he wrote. Okay. I'll write to them tomorrow. Uh, I vaguely remember something also about being unemployed, um, but I'll write and see what he has to say. Okay. I don't get him. I'll get one of his minions, right. but they'll get right back a hold of me. And then we'll mention it on the upcoming EDU show on Saturday. How's that? Sounds good. Okay. All right. Okay, this one everyone is going to get right, so we're going to go real quick through it because I just gave the darn answer. This one is oh. pretty much related <laughs> to the, the question we just answered on the excess contribution. What is the date that an excess IRA contribution must be removed from the IRA to avoid the 6% excess contribution penalty? Answer one, it must be removed by April 15th of the following year. Number two, it must be removed by September 15th of the following year. Number three, it must be removed by October 15th of the following year. And number four, it must be removed by December 31st of the following year. Which is the deadline? You might as well just hit the clapping now. Yeah, that's the, wrong. that's the October 15th that we already talked about. Yep, we already talked about it. Okay, two more really quick ones. I think, Chris, you are going to get both of these. I sure hope so. Today's been a little rough. (laughs) You got two of them. They're real short. One of them we're not going to get into because we could turn this into our own separate EDU show. Which of the following is an NUA triggering event? So real brief, NUA, folks, is net unrealized appreciation. It's just a strategy that people who have company stock in a 401k from their employer, and it only works with low basis, highly appreciated company stock. Like you have a basis in your 401k, a company stock of $10, and the company stock is trading at 80 So that's where you would use a strategy like this. It's called net unrealized appreciation. And it's a really cool way of getting the $70 of growth out of the 401k without having to pay taxes on it yet. And when you do pay taxes on it, you would pay capital gains, long-term capital gains, not income taxes. So when it applies to people, it's a really cool strategy to work. Well, one of the rules of NUA is you must have what is called a triggering event. You must complete the NUA transaction, which is essentially closing the 401k in full in one calendar year. But you have to do it after a triggering event. 
So which one of these four that I'm going to give is an actual triggering event and the other three are fakes? Which one is real? Separation from service for self-employed people only. Reaching age 59 and a half. Being disabled but not if you are self-employed, or D, or four, all of the above. Hmm. I know this one. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> Age 59 and a half is a triggering event. The other two, I'm pretty sure he's got reversed, and that's what he's trying to trick you on is the the separation Excellent. from service is normally a triggering event, but not for a self-employed person. And disability is not a triggering event for workers, but is a triggering event for the self-employed for some reason. That's So I think he's got those flipped around. He but did. 59 yep. and Give a half yourself is, a clip. Oh, Give yourself good. a clip. That, that was a tough Excellent. question. It wasn't, you know, the disability one I wasn't sure, but as soon as it said separation from service, but only if you're self-employed, that right there I knew was, yeah, you know, that blew gave that it out away. of the water. Yeah. 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 But Chris is correct, and he just has those two little nuances moved around and, and switched. Everybody knows it's 59 and a half, uh, separation from service. But if you think about it, though, folks, if you're self-employed, the IRS doesn't want you saying separation from service because it's sometimes hard for them to track. Are you working? Are you not? You're self-employed. Yeah. So they only allow it for someone through an employer. But disability confuses me. Why is it only self-employed? It's a triggering event, not if you're working for someone. Maybe, no they're, throwing them a, maybe they're throwing them a bone for not allowing them, them to bone. use the separation from service or something. I don't but know. But the other thing that makes this tricky is all three of those are triggering events. It's just that they yeah. have the self-employed and the non-self-employed switched. Right. So most people probably gravitated real quickly to the all of the above because I almost mm -hmm. did that. And then I picked up on it. I was like, oh, no, this, this guy, he's being tricky and on this one. Death is another triggering event. Death is the other triggering Which event. Which they didn't list, oh. but that's where I thought you were going to mention when you got to four when you said all of the above. Okay. Chris, you will get this one right as well. <sighs> if you if okay. you don't, and long-time listeners, not even long-time listeners, anyone who's been listening to us for at least the past five months, because we talked about this uh, in October with our little uh, Roth rollover conversion strategy that we do. So this has to do with a 60-day rollover, mm -hmm. folks. In a 60-day rollover being completed via a paper check. Now, let me pause there and explain what a paper check is. Believe it or not, folks, there are people who still write paper checks. Yours truly still writes paper checks. So these are actual written checks that you will receive in the mail and nothing electronic. I know, Chris, you do everything electronically, practically. I still use paper checks. So for a 60-day rollover being completed via a paper check, when does the 60-day clock begin? So when the person doing the rollover, when do they have to have the money back in the IRA? Everyone knows, Chris, within 60 days. Within 60 days of what? Answer number one, the moment the custodian 
processes the distribution. The postmark on the envelope that contained the check. Number three, when the account owner physically takes possession of the check. And number four, both one and two are acceptable. Which one is when the 60 days begins? This one is uh, number three, which bizarrely enough is an event that is hard to prove when it actually happened, but it's when you take physical possession of the paper check that starts the 60-day clock, not the other ones. Absolutely, folks. This is what makes 60-day rollovers very easy to, to, to be nefarious. We're not advocating anyone do that. But there have been private letter rulings. There was one person who was committed. He did a 60-day rollover, and he was in the middle of waiting for the check. His family had him committed for drug use. I don't know if he was doing the rollover to get money to buy drugs. This is a true PLR. I don't know when it came out, but I remember reviewing it with Ed. And the guy got committed. For a while. For a long time, yes, months. And by the time he came out, he was clean. But way more than 60 days passed. IRS said, that's okay. You never took physical possession of the check. There was a couple who went on vacation. Why yeah. you would do a 60-day rollover and then go on vacation? Right. With a check. You know it's coming in the mail <laughs> unless they maybe were doing this intentionally. <laughs> yeah. And by the time they got back from vacation, it had been more than 60 days. Yeah. But because they never physically took possession of the check, how often does the mail screw up? When we started talking about this, Chris, years ago, I had just moved to my new place in Berthet, as you know. And remember, I mailed my father a Christmas gift the week after Thanksgiving, if you remember this story, from the Berthet mailbox, uh, the Berthet post office. My father didn't get it until April. I mailed it in the end of November. He never got it for Christmas. He never got it in January. He never got it in February. He never got it in March. He got it in April. He was happy, but he got it. That's four months almost. Checks could take just as long or be subject to the, the whims of the post office. You don't start the 60 days until you take physical possession. So if you are looking to stretch this 60 days as long as possible, don't call up you Vanguardians. Don't call up Vanguard and say, uh, do you mind wiring that money into my bank account for me? Ask for a damn paper check. And no tracking number. Just ask for a paper check. Because you don't have to start the 60 days until you actually took physical possession of the check. Another one of those, I put that right in line with that you can leave the growth if you take the excess contribution out after October 15th. It's just a head-scratching thing that says, really? Yeah, that's bizarre. It, It is, but... How do you prove or how does the IRS disprove? If you took possession of the check and then you cash it, that's how they're going to nail you. You cashed it. But if you never cash it, how are they going to know? I don't get that. It's, I don't get it. But anyways, that's it. So, Chris, you did good. I think you got most of them. Yeah, today's been a little rough, but... uh... 
overall, I think I would have gotten a passing grade with Ed. Well, hopefully I didn't screw up on anything either. Goodness, as I've been going down these little rabbit holes trying to explain them for the last two days, I've been screwing up. So hopefully everybody is totally sober and didn't play take a shot when Jim screws up uh, this time. So either that, if we have a bunch of drunk people, I know I've been saying a lot of things wrong again. But uh, I do apologize for the things that I haven't been saying right lately. And if it continues, well, we'll we'll cross that bridge when it gets here if it continues. But um, names, names, I always screw up. Everybody knows that. Uh, Names just don't matter what you name. Hell, I've been calling Chris Steve. I called him Piss before. Mr. Half Paul, half Chris. I mean, Pete, see, there it is. Pete, not Paul. Um, names I mess up all the time. Remember the Bob one when I called him Paul, right? He and I bet 50 bucks that I was going to screw up names and I never did. And then I got really cocky at the end. Yeah. And I suck. And I called Peter Paul. Yeah. Oh my God. But anyways, names I usually screw up folks, things like this. I generally don't, but it's one thing to keep in mind. Chris and I are not infallible. We're not perfect. We're trying our best. We think we're given sound advice but always double or triple check even what we say don't take what we say for 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 for, i don't know for for gospel uh do your own proofing i just have to let people know that anyways hopefully everybody thought this was fun we can do it again in the spring uh we'll have another test probably coming up in may or june and uh maybe we'll do it again okay sounds good oh and that'll be a good one because the most of it will be secure act two true okay well um stay tuned everybody for another edu show next week we'll have a q a show here in a few days get to a bunch of your emailed questions if you do want to send in your questions for that or have a suggestion for a future edu show uh, just email jim directly jim at jimhelps.com is the email address and make sure uh, in the subject line you indicate it's uh regarding the podcast a suggestion or a question for the podcast and uh you have a nice evening Jim and everyone else will be back with you next week with a brand new show. You have listened to Jim on the radio, read his quotes in the media, and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. But even now you may wonder what sets Jim Salmier and Associates apart from other financial planning companies. The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their clients' best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Saunier & Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit jimhelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S, dot com. Or call 970-530-0556. The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. 